Well, good morning, South Hills. It's wonderful to see you all. Um, so my name is Doug, and um, I work with the youth here with the high school and middle school. So this is a big privilege for me to be up here on stage. And actually, when, so when we kind of go through and we plan out when we're going to be doing these weeks, and I will tell you, very honestly, I did not realize this was the uh, spring ahead day when I picked this one. So... <laughs> That was on me, but I am glad you all made it. I'm glad I made it. Um, If my voice sounds a little rough, it's because I was at the Americans game last night, and it was a great game, and it ended very exciting, and I was yelling a lot, so um, I know they heard me, and that's why they won, so I feel like it was worth it. Well, this morning, we are going to be talking about um, this practice of grace serving, and I know this is one that it's pretty straightforward. We we all know that it's good to serve, right? Uh, but we're going to look at one example from Jesus that really lays it out well and, and really creates a, um, not just a, a reason why we should serve, but helps us to see some parameters of like, here's, here's how we should serve. Um, so we're going to be getting into that, and it's in John 13. So if you want to you grab your Bibles, we'll get to that in just a second, but I'm going to give you a little time to open up to it. Um, while we're looking at that, though, one of the big things we have to recognize is that serving isn't always fun. It's not always easy either. Um, and in fact, we have a lot of ways that we serve at our, within our own homes too. And we serve, of course, it's, it's good to, to serve each other in our homes. Um, and we normally do that through chores, right? And we have different chores that we do. And a lot of times we assign them to different people, especially if you have kids. And, uh, but there are certain chores everybody avoids, right? Just nobody really wants to do them. For me personally, that's just laundry. And mostly because I'm really slow at it and I get static electricity all over me. That was cool. I don't know what that was, but we're going to keep moving. So anyway, <laughs> let me know if you see something moving, okay? But yeah, I, I, don't like, I don't like laundry. But there are a lot of other chores that I think most people don't like even more than that. I'm gonna, I want to do this. I want to do our, our, um, our top five, top five chores uh, that, we, that we don't like doing. Top five lists. Here we go. And we're going to start with number five because it's not the worst, but it's, it's really annoying. It's frustrating. Pulling weeds is one that is, a lot of people don't like, right? It's just like, I have to go outside and out here, you know, it's not just sunny. It's like intensely sunny and it gets windy and we don't have to worry about too much about rain, but man, it's hot and sweaty and you get dirty. Pulling weeds is definitely one, but I think even worse than that would be taking out the trash because... Um, and this is a terrible picture, I realize, but it's, it's nasty, right? And sometimes the, the bag rips and it's leaking all over the floor. And if you're the one who has to take it out, you have to deal with that. And everybody tries to push it down, push it down more and more. And it just fills up. Nobody, nobody really likes this one. It's a quick one oftentimes. So sometimes it's a benefit, but it's still pretty gross. Uh, beyond that, sometimes I think even worse is, is doing dishes. And here's why. Because the stuff that's on the dishes is the stuff you threw into the trash can. You have to touch it with your bare hands, okay? So all the food scraps and leftovers, and I don't know how messy of an eater you are or your kids are or your dog is or whoever, it gets gross really fast. But even worse than that, worse than that, of course, is cleaning the bathroom. Ah, nobody likes doing that. Nobody wants to clean the bathroom, especially when you have to get to the toilet, right? We'll avoid it. We'll, we'll be like, well, I'll get to that later, but we'll just wash off the mirror today. That's a good one. Look at how clean that is. I'll take out that trash, but I am not touching the toilet, right? Or the bathtub. It's just, yeah, it's, it's huge. I'm not, yeah. Nobody likes that. 
but probably the worst one, and thankfully I don't have to do this because I don't have any pets, but the worst one has got to be cleaning up after your pets because it's not just you're washing the toilet, you're literally touch, anyway, yeah, it's, it's nasty, it's nasty, and that's why I don't have pets. Also, my wife won't let me get any, but it's not on her. I actually have found to really enjoy not having to clean up after pets. My kids are dirty enough, so it's fine. Um, they use the bathroom, don't worry. But nobody likes this piece, right? But I will tell you, there is a worse chore, a worse chore than even picking up after your pets. And this was one that they had back in the first century and what Jesus does here, and it is washing feet, washing feet. Yeah. Uh, and I know these, these feet look like a couple of stakes right here because of how well done they are. But this is the, what, what Jesus was pointing to. And this is what, where our scripture will be. And Jesus washes people's feet. And I want to give you a little context. Now, a lot of you probably already understand somewhat of, of how foot washing worked in the first century, but it was reserved for the lowest servant. And foot washing was important because they didn't have cars. Not only did they not have cars, but they did have animals that they needed to, uh, to ride around and move around. And they didn't have paved roads, at least not often. If you were in like a major city, maybe. But even on the paved roads, you still got your animals. And I'll tell you, those animals, they were not house trained or street trained or whatever you want to call it. They did their business right out there. And you had to walk through, over, around as best you could and navigate that in sandals or some sort of, some, some sort of footwear that would be similar to that open toes, right? And then you got all this animal stuff all over the place and it's dusty. And remember, this is, this is where Jesus is at. This is in Jerusalem, Israel. It gets pretty hot out there and they're sweaty. And so it would be very important, especially as we get into our scripture, we realize that they're about to eat a meal and the meal situation would be, they would be lounging around a table. They didn't, have, they didn't sit at chairs upright like we do. They actually lounged around a table. And so you're laying down and you're next to somebody and their feet may not be too far away from you. And you can imagine if their feet were not clean, it would be a horrible experience. And so what they would do is they would have a servant come in and wash your feet as you came in. As much as washing your hands is important, I can guarantee you, if you had to walk in that situation, washing your feet would be much more important and so that's what they would do. But it was reserved for the servant that you kind of didn't like very much, or at least the guy who maybe was you just hired or was lowest on the totem pole. Regardless, it was the guy who, they, they were the bottom, the, the lowest of the low. Like the guy who, who, uh, who cleaned the bathroom was just a step above him because at least he had a little bit of distance from, from the actual stuff itself. This guy, he was right in it, hands on. And so that's what we're going to look at. This is the example that Jesus gives us. So we're in John chapter 13. And if you don't know, John is one of the four gospels, the last of the four gospels. Um, it's a great book. And it really focuses on the last week of Jesus' ministry, right? As it leads up to the cross. And where we are right here is right there at the end of that week, just before Jesus goes to the cross one day before. So if you would stand with me and we're going to read this. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Here's what it says. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said, not every one is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You may be seated. So as we get into this, first we've got the setup. And here's what's going on. The stage is set here. We're we're just kind of showing... Really, John is preparing us for what's about to happen, and John is explaining that Jesus is about to go to the cross, okay? He's headed to the cross. He, he's right there in the upper room. He's with his disciples, and he wants to share with them some last bits of information, some, some moments together where he can, do, he can show them what he is all about for the final time. And this is actually where communion is established, is here in the upper room at the Last Supper. So this is a big part of what, what would be established within the church, Along with that, Jesus has the high priestly prayer where he's praying for his disciples right in front of them, Um, and it's a wonderful prayer. I would encourage you to look at it. It's in John 17. So he's he's showing his disciples how much he loves them, right? Um, And if we look at this, we go go to those first couple verses again. We see it. it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is very much focused on by John. And, and he's like, I don't want anybody who's reading this to miss it. Jesus loved his disciples. And we'll see that really come out here in just a minute. Um, we move on to the next verse here. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And the next verse Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that the moment was here, that next day he's headed to the cross. He understood this. And he also knew that right in this room, amongst these disciples that he loved, one of the disciples that Jesus truly did love was the one who was about to betray him, Judas. And so this is a, this is a very important part that we'll come back to. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that Judas was going to betray him, and yet... He still expresses his love to all the disciples, knowing that all authority has been given to him. He continues on and during this meal, and, it, it, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I tried to figure out exactly where in the meal, if, if it was like Jesus did it right at the beginning, or some sources seem to imply that it was maybe later at the end of the meal. Regardless, in the midst of all this, Jesus is going to the disciples, and he does something, and he, he shows them this act of washing their feet. So all things are in place for the sacrifice. Jesus takes his time to teach through action. The question is, what is he teaching? He's teaching about serving first. The very first thing that he teaches in the upper room. <clears throat> so Jesus gives the, uh, an example of love through foot washing. Okay, so if we look at verses four and five right here. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and mostly that's probably just a, some sort of a cloak that he was wearing, um, wrapped a towel around his waist, 
And then after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So he's just taken on this role um, of what the lowest servant would be doing. Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, and their Lord was doing for them. Okay, now this is a big deal because, again, he's, he's the top, right? He's, he, already, he points it out later on. I, I am your Lord. I am your teacher, and I am doing this for you. Peter gets really frustrated with this, okay? Peter gets super frustrated because he sees Jesus going down the line, and, and it seems pretty obvious that Peter was not the first one. I don't know if he was the last one, but he probably wasn't the first one in line to get his feet washed. And so Jesus is going down, and, you know, maybe he starts with John, the disciple whom he loves, you know, and then he goes to James, and then he gets to Judas even. He's washing his feet, and Peter's watching him go down next, next, and he's realizing, he's going to wash my feet. What is he doing why in the world is, why in the world would, would the Lord, the God of heaven, why would he be washing people's feet? This is wrong. This is inappropriate even. This should not be happening. And so Peter, I mean, try, you can tell he's, he's struggling with this at this moment. In verse 6, is, it's really funny to watch actually. I mean, for Peter, it probably was not funny at all. But it's, it's kind of comical as we're watching it and we watch this play out. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord... Are you going to wash my feet? I don't know. Maybe Peter never got his feet washed at the very beginning or his feet were especially stinky. I'm not sure why he phrased it this way, but you can tell that he is uncomfortable with what's about to happen. And what, something that, that we focus on, if we go back just a second. So he's, first off, he recognizes him as Lord. This is important. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Okay, then we move on to the next one. Jesus tries to kind of calm him down. Jesus replies, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And by later, he means like just a couple minutes, right? It's a lot of times when, when we see in scripture where it's like, they will, you know, you'll understand later on. It's like after Jesus is gone. No, Jesus is like, yeah, just hold tight, bud. You know, we're, we'll get to it. Peter is having none of it. Peter moves, goes on and says this right here. no. No, <laughs> the guy he just called Lord, he's now bossing around. You shall never wash my feet, okay? And, and actually, if you look at some translations, there, he does reference him as Lord again in this scripture, in this particular verse. So he's saying, no, Lord. Like, you've got two conflicting things going on here. Is he your Lord or is he the one that you get to tell him what to do? Because you're trying to do both at the same time. You're trying to tell him both ways. So <clears throat> ultimately, Peter subverts his own intention. He's trying to tell Jesus that this is inappropriate, that as Lord, he should not be the one in the place of a servant. And yet Peter himself is placing him over Jesus as making Jesus lower than himself. It really doesn't work with what Peter's trying to get across. Points out to Jesus that he's the master, the one in charge. Tells the master he can't do it. It's reminiscent, honestly, of what Peter's done before. And if you recall in Matthew 16, 22 where Jesus was telling him, hey, I'm going to be going to the cross, and all this is going to happen. Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, that this shall never happen to you. Again, Lord, you're the boss. Let me tell you what to do. That's what's going on. And of course, that's the scripture where Jesus comes back with, get behind me, Satan. Uh, you don't get to boss me around. You, you are trying to stop me from doing what I need to do because you have an earthly mentality instead of a heavenly one. Same thing is happening here again. Thank God for Peter, okay? Because honestly, I can't say that I would, I would do any better than him. But because of Peter's, his, 
His ignorance is our blessing. We'll put it that way. His lack of understanding in those moments is our blessing because we get to see an extra lesson here that Jesus adds in uh, because of, specifically because of Peter to answer his question. And Jesus comes back and says to him, so the second half of the verse, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So in other words, he's saying, if I don't do this, you're not one of my own. You're, not, you're no longer a disciple. You gotta, this is a big part of it. And then Peter doubles back. And, and it's funny because in the first verse, there's, like a, there's a double negative. He says, no, definitely not. And then he comes back immediately afterwards and he says this. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Now he's got a double positive. He's like, no, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. She's like, well, then you're, you have no part with me. Then yes, absolutely, this is going to happen and also wash everything, right? <laughs> Peter is an extreme guy and I love it because it's really entertaining to watch. And I thank God that he went through it and not me because I can guarantee you I'd make a bigger fool of myself than he did. Thankfully, Peter, he gets it. And yet he still doesn't because he's still bossing Jesus around. He's still telling Jesus, okay, then, then wash it all. Come on, come on, bring it on. I've got the shampoo right over here. Let's do it. And she's like, hold on, Peter, hold on. You know, and you can, it, you can sense the good intention behind Peter. In his mind, he is all about, he's trying to do what's right. But his mentality is not focused on following after Jesus. His mentality is on following after what he sees as right and wrong. And instead, he needs to be focused on going to where Jesus is telling him to go, doing what Jesus is telling him to do. Now, what's cool here is um, there is an example in the midst of this. Like I said, there's an extra lesson that we can learn. And one of these lessons is that we need to be washed by Jesus. It is necessary. And Jesus actually breaks down this foot washing and turns it into more of an allegory. Instead of just an example, he turns it into an allegory here. In other words, he's giving us a, a, a picture of what it is like as a Christian. So... We already have been given this spiritual bath, okay? That's salvation. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you have been washed. You, a person who's, who's bathed has no need uh, of another shower, right? You, you just need your feet washed. And, and why does Jesus say this? He's not just talking about how Peter probably already had a bath that morning, but he's actually talking about it in a spiritual sense. And you can tell this because of what he gets into later on. So the illustration is salvation. This, this idea of You've been spiritually baptized, right? And I know that they've got the, the baptism class going on this morning, which is really cool. And that is an outward expression of what has happened internally, right? When we baptize people, we put them under the water, and that is not salvation. Pulling them out of the water, that is not salvation. It is a representation of what Jesus has done to us spiritually. It's an outward expression of a spiritual experience. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you already are clean, you have been baptized in the Spirit. You have been given this cleansing through salvation. In other words, you have already trusted. There's that repentance that's already happened. You are washed clean, but your feet are dirty. That's the only thing that, that we need to focus on here. And what he's getting at is this idea of you, you have been saved. You have been washed clean, right? The forgiveness for sins is permanent and it separates, like a scripture says, as far as the east is from the west. That's as far as our sins are from, from the mind of God. And yet we still continue to sin. And that's where we, t when we talked about not long ago, the, the practice of repentance or the practice of, um, uh, I'm just going to say repentance because I can't think of the other word, but where we, confession, thank you so much, confession, the practice of confession, it is important because, not because Jesus didn't save us 
when we first ask, and we have to keep coming back to him because it is good to renew that cleansing, like washing our feet. Because this is, a, this is an example of who we are in front of, or who Jesus is in front of the world. And, and that continually going back to Jesus, going back to Jesus for that regular washing, not because we need salvation again, but because we need that, that cleansing of our feet again. And it, it's reminiscent, it makes me think of, um, uh, what was it, Romans ten fifteen and Isaiah 52, 7, where it says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's the idea here, is that Jesus is washing our feet spiritually so that we can bring that good news without the dirty feet in front of people, right? So that the good news, because, and what is the good news? That's the gospel. That is the salvation that we bring with us. But if we've got the dirty feet while we're doing it, we're stinking up the place. And so we need that continually to go back and confess to the Lord. Now, there's something big here, and that's that Jesus points out about, uh, about Judas, um, and I'm not sure I put it in the slides, but right here he, in that verse, he talks about how you are clean, but not all of you. And that you, by the way, the first you and the second one there are plural. So he's not talking just to Peter anymore. He's not saying, hey, you, Peter, you are clean because you took a bath this morning. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you as a whole, as a group are clean, but one of you is not. And what he's referencing there is Judas. And it mentions that. It says that because Judas was the one who's going to betray him, Judas did not have that salvation. So the washing of the feet meant nothing for him. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't do it. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't show his love and didn't offer that, that act of service to Judas. But what it means is Judas truly never received it. In other words, Judas was not clean. He had never had that bath. And I will tell you, of all the people in that room, this, I can, this is not talking about a physical bath because I bet you, I, I, would, I would put all my money on it that Judas was physically the cleanest person in that room because he was all about appearances. He was all about looking good and what does this look like to everybody else? And man, we, we could be using this, instead of using this money you know, to wash Jesus, you know, the, if you remember Mary Magdalene, washes Jesus' feet with, uh, with a perfume. Oh, we could have used that for the poor. It would have looked so much better. He's all about appearances. But internally, he's dead inside still. He never had put that trust in Jesus, even while he's hanging out with Jesus 24-7, which is something that we need to pay attention to. Because while we can get caught up in the act of serving, and we can start to think that serving is what saves us in a sense. Well, I'm with Jesus all the time because I'm serving him all the time. Yeah, but do you actually know him yet? Do you, have you actually been cleansed by him? And this is that, that moment to really focus on and say, do I have that salvation through Jesus? Have I been cleansed? Because if I have not, then all the acts of service in the world that I can do for Jesus truly are not of any use. They... Can God, can Jesus use them? Absolutely he can. But reflected back on me, there's no positive to them. Not until I have been fully washed by Jesus do any of those acts of service really mean anything in my life. And we'll get to that a little bit more later on. So now Jesus does explain things. Okay, so here's the explanation. And thankfully Jesus does this because we need it and, and the disciples needed it. And so he goes on and says in the next verses, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Jesus recognizes his role, right? He points it out to the, the disciples. And then he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He's saying this is an example for you. 
He continues on. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And finally, he wraps it up with one more little example. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This is a big deal. This is a very big deal. And why does Jesus point this out? Because Jesus is above all. Okay? And we know this. We understand it. And in fact, we could lay it out. I, I remember there was a, there was a poet, my, my favorite poet, uh, Johnson is his last name. I can't remember his first name right now. I know, favorite poet, and yet I can't remember his first name. Anyway, his name is Johnson, a uh, wonderful poet, and he was very, the reason I love him is because he was less about the poetry and more about the reason, and that's what I'm about, okay? Uh, but he kind of laid out this idea of there's like a chain, and imagine it stretches all the way from heaven down to hell, and it's an order of creation, basically, that's put in place. And we're going to go through that just a little bit. Now, this isn't Johnson's exact one, but we're going to look at it, and I think you'd agree with this. Okay, so we start out with Jesus is at the very top, right? And then there's a big old gap, and then you have the angels, and Scripture talks about just below the angels are the humans, right? So we got people. Now, amongst the people, we could point out that the top of the people would start with probably kings, right? Kings or maybe the president, whatever. Top rulers in the nations. And then under them would probably be public officials, right? And then under them, probably military leaders. Uh, and under them would be business owners, farmers, especially if we're thinking first century, the business owners pretty much were the farmers. And then under them would be your laborers, the people who work for those, for the business owners and the farmers. And below them, and you notice we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller, the servants, okay? Now, we can go even further, Okay, so let's go to the next one. We got Jesus at the top still, but you have the hired servants, and then you have the bond servants, and you have and slaves. That's really what we're talking about here. We have the people who are servants by choice, and the people who are servants not necessarily by choice. Some of them maybe, but a lot of them maybe not. And then we go down, 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 and I don't know if you can, oh, <laughs> you can pull that one back up. It's okay. We got all the way at the bottom, the guy who washes feet, Okay. Because there's a whole bunch of other jobs in here. There's the, the kitchen staff, and there's the gardener, and there's the, the person who's just responsible for tidying up. And at the very bottom, the guy who washes feet. That's it. Now, here's where I want you to focus, okay? And I know it's not the exact next slide, so I'm sorry, Ron. We can fix this later on. But you've got the, the guy who washes feet. That's Jesus, Okay? Yeah, he's going here. What does that mean for us then? If we look at this, so we go to the next slide here. The guy who washes feet is Jesus, okay? And then you and I are here. That's you and me. So if we look at this entire expanse, you've got all the way from kings all the way down to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the low. That's where Jesus put himself. And he said, and I'm still above you. I'm still your master, I'm still your Lord, I'm still your teacher. So you have no excuse. There is no way that you can get out of this. Everyone is still below him. And this is how we learn, and our, our, our first main point here is that nobody is above serving because Jesus is not above serving. If Jesus was willing to do it, then we should be willing to do it as well. Even the most menial or lowest task, if Jesus did it, you're expected to do it. I'm expected to do it. I'm not exempting myself from this in any way. Okay, when I say you, I mean we. I'm a part of this. But our motivation is important. We serve others because Jesus served. 
Not because we're trying to earn something, not because we're trying to get brownie points from, from Jesus or, or trying to show off how amazing we are. In fact, that would be the opposite of what we need to do. Instead, we serve because we recognize that our Lord was willing to serve and he showed that as an expression of love. Therefore, we serve also as an expression of love. Not because we're greater than Jesus, but because he is greater than us. And the world asks, and this is a great quote from Warren Wearsby, the world asks, how many people work for you? But the Lord asks, for how many people do you work? Also, we need to recognize that nobody is below being served. And I I know this sounds, I, I struggled with how to word this one, but nobody is below being served. And I'm talking about those who we serve. Jesus washed Judas' feet too. He did. He was in the room. It doesn't say that Jesus washed all their feet, and then when he got to Judas, he was like, "Mm, no, okay, (laughs) we're going to move on. No, he just kept going right along with Judas. And again, we recognize that Judas was not a believer. In fact, it gives every indication that Judas went to the grave never having trusted Jesus through faith. And yet, Jesus washed his feet, right? Uh, Matthew 5:44, Romans 12:2 talks about how we are meant to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him drink. That's exactly what Jesus. Because this guy, I'm gonna. I want you to think about this. You might think that, well, yeah, but I know some people that are even worse than Judas. Like, no, you don't. No, you do not. Because I want you to think about. Think of. Think of your closest comrade, friend. Uh, even spouse, whoever is the closest person in your life, and you spend hours and hours, days, years together, and you're caring for them, and you're loving them, and you're teaching them, and you're showing them amazing things, and you're giving everything you can to them, all the way up knowing even how, how little they care for you, and yet you still continue to give it to them, and then at the end they turn around and not just figuratively backstab you, but literally sell you out to death. That's what Judas was doing. And remember, John pointed that out at the beginning. Jesus knew it. He knew from the very beginning. And honestly, Jesus kept pointing it out during this time. Like, hey, yeah, there's somebody who's going to be, who's not clean here. There's somebody who will betray me. It's the guy who I'm dipping the bread in the thing with. Over and over, Jesus knows it. He understands that Judas has already sold him out. And yet, in the midst of that, he's still saying, Judas... I love you, I care about you, and I want to wash your feet. I want to serve you. If only you understood. If Jesus can do it, if Judas was not low enough for Jesus to skip over, then there is nobody in the world that is low enough for us to skip over. And you might think in your head, but there's this person, I don't care. It does not matter. Jesus served them, you can serve them too. Now, a wonderful thing is, that this isn't, this isn't just about us, right? It's about Jesus ultimately. Our motivation is really important and that does help us because he gives us encouragement. That's where that scripture that talks about how nobody's been tempted in any way that Jesus has not, right? Jesus has experienced all this. He knows what it feels like and he knows the struggle that it can be to serve those who we struggle serving and yet he tells us to do it anyway. Now, our, our third point here is and this is a big long one, okay? Nobody will know you belong to Christ if you don't serve each other. And I know that's really long, but I couldn't think of a better way to compact it down into like three or four words. A few verses later, Jesus actually goes on to say, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And the reason I I said you're 
serve each other. I mean specifically within the church. Now, yes, we are meant to serve everybody. And, and yes, the lowest of the low and all the, all the way up to the highest of the high. It doesn't matter. We serve them all. But the way that the world will know that we belong to Jesus is by how much we serve one another. And I'm going to connect these two things um, on this next slide here. The greatest distinction between us and the world, according to Jesus himself, he points this out, is how much we love each other. And this is primarily expressed in how much we will serve each other or how well we serve each other. And here's why. Because love is not a feeling. Love is a verb. Love is an action. And how do you, how do you love? How do you express love? How do you live this out? Well, you do it by serving, right? Think of if you wanted to show love to somebody today, how would you do it? At, at the lowest, you'd probably just say it, right? But a true expression of love would be serving them in some way, right? Think about, I, I think about my wife. How, how would I show love to her? Well, I'd go and I'd do something that would express love to her. I would go and care for her in some way. I would get her food or I would, I would do a chore that she doesn't like doing or, I, you know, something. I would serve her in some way. That's really what, how love is expressed is through serving. And so if we are going to show the world Sorry, I think I'm messing with my pack here a little bit. If we are going to show the world that we love one another, we have to show the world that we are willing to serve one another. And I have a great example of this. Okay, so um, in middle school, I love middle schoolers. I really do. High schoolers are great, but I love middle schoolers because they, they act without thinking. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And... There was this one situation not long ago where we had um, Sydney Jonas often leads worship for us. She's in middle school. It's amazing. We have a middle school worship leader there. It's really cool. Um, but she had chose that week to not have a band with her. It was just going to be her up there leading with her guitar, which is really neat. Um, but normally, that was like the first time, normally she has a whole band with her. And there's this one kid, Eli, and Eli is... He is a, a ball of energy, okay? He does not stop, and he does not stop talking. He is all about it. And uh, if you ever find uh, my brother-in-law, Chris Pope, ask him because he's in his small group, and it's, uh, it's intense. This kid is a lot. But Eli was an amazing example of what serving looks like because as the worship is going on, he sees that Sydney's up there all by herself. And so the whole crowd's out there, and so he comes back, and I'm kind of standing behind the, the group of students. He comes back to me, and I thought he was going to be like, hey, can I go to the bathroom or something? You know, that's pretty common. You know, he comes up to me. He says, hey, should I go up there with her? There's nobody else singing with her. Know this. He did not practice any of these songs. He had no idea what was coming up next. But he was willing to step up on that stage in the middle of a song and just start singing with Sydney. And I can totally imagine how that would play out. And Sydney would be like, what is going on? Why are you up here with me? And so I said, no, 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 no. This is intentional. She meant to do this. But just the, the care that he showed of just like, I can, my, my fellow student is struggling up there. Look at her. She's all by herself. Her whole team abandoned her. I must help her. This is great. I love it. And I was like, dude, that was so nice of you. But no, no, she's okay. She's got it. She's got it. But that's a wonderful example to us of just that, that who cares what I look like when I'm doing this? I may not be able to, to I may not know the song. I may not be able to, I don't know if he can sing well or not. I haven't really paid attention. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. But he didn't care. He was willing to jump up there. And that is the wonderful example that Jesus gives us as well. It doesn't matter. Who cares what you look like? Who cares how low this is? Serve one another. 
That's our example to the world. This is an amazing opportunity that God has given us. So service means little, though, without salvation first. And this is where we come back to that piece. Uh, It says in Isaiah 64, it talks about how our, our greatest righteousness on our own without Christ, without God, they're nothing but filthy rags. And the idea is like dirty underwear, okay? Uh, dirty underwear is better than no underwear, but it ain't great. So our, our acts of service, our kindness, our righteousness on our own, uh, any, you know, these things that we can do without Christ, are they still good? Yeah. Yeah, they're still good. Like, even the world without Christ can do nice things to, for each other. But without Christ... It's like dirty underwear. It really doesn't account for much. But with Christ, all of a sudden, it ain't dirty underwear. It's a heck of a lot better than that. It's way, way better. In fact, it's specifically in service to God. Now, this, this blessing of serving we're gonna, is, is a wonderful. There, there are a lot of opportunities um, that Christ has given us. And we don't want to miss out on the opportunities that, that God has given us, that God has given you and God has given me, Okay. There's a wonderful verse in Ephesians um, 2.10 that says, For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works that you might walk in them. This is the expectation. You were created to do these good works, to serve one another. That's why you were created. This, is, this gives us purpose, this blessing of, of purpose in our lives. Now, we're going to list out three specific blessings, okay? The first one is the blessing of serving others. And this blessing of serving others is well noted, but it is often forsaken. Right? It's better to give than to receive. We all have heard this plenty of times. And yet we, we still go, mm, but I kind of want people to serve me instead. But that's ultimately, at the end of the day, the person who's serving is going to be much more blessed than the person who is being served. Because God just created it this way. It's wonderful. There's per- like I said, there's purpose in it. There's meaning behind it. And a life of purpose and a life of meaning is much better than a life of relaxation and luxury. And then beyond that, the blessing of serving God. Right? And in serving others, especially our, our enemies, like we talked about before, we are ultimately serving our Savior. And, and Jesus said, as much as you do these things unto the least of these, least of my brethren, so you're doing to them doing them to me, right? And the idea was like just, just a cup of cool water for somebody who is thirsty. As simple as that, as much as you're doing it for somebody, even the lowest, you're doing it as if it were to Jesus himself. And so if you want to serve God, serve others because that's how we set it up. And the growth that comes through serving is rarely matched in any other discipline. And the reason is because serving envelops all of these other disciplines, right? It envelops the idea of first that that confession, right? That, that I'm going to God and I'm seeking him out first and in order that I might serve others well. And the, the idea of I'm looking to others, I'm looking to love and I'm looking to care and I'm, I'm looking to grow through Jesus. I'm listening to God and where he's directing me and how I should serve. And finally, the blessing of inviting others through serving. And this is a wonderful one because a lot of times we think about serving and, and there are many different ways to serve and you can serve people individually no matter where you are, whether you're at work or school or at home and you could just be looking for, listening to God for those moments. God, wh- wh- where can I step out and serve today? And he will point you into the right direction. He will help you and his Holy Spirit will guide you. But there are also opportunities to serve within the church and many of you know this and many of you serve in the church and it's a wonderful, blessed thing for this church to have you here serving and I, I, props to you, 
Like, that is wonderful, and it is such a blessing for us to have that. But know that there are a lot of people who, who think, you know what, the church could be better. If only there was this thing instead, if only this ministry was going on, if only it looked like this in the lobby, if only we had, you know, a little better decorations, or if only it was set up this way, if only we had this class, or if only we had this study, maybe God's placing that on your heart for a reason. And it's not just to point it out to other people. God uses those moments to say, do it. Go out. Go serve. It's okay. You can do it. And, and don't be afraid of those moments, okay? I will tell you, the leadership in this church loves it. We love it to hear when you guys are like, you know what? I see a need, and I'd like to help fix that. And this is a wonderful thing because then we are creating a situation where our church is a place where we feel that we would love to bring our friends to. I want people to know about Jesus and I want to share it with them, and I want to tell them, and I want them to see what a community of believers looks like. But I'd really like that community of believers to actually look like they're supposed to right now first. Well, then be a part of that. Be a part of making that happen. The blessing of inviting others through serving. And as you do it, bring them in. We would love to see them here. And if you happen to be one of those people where I got invited today, and I don't know why I'm here, wonderful. Thank you for being here. You are a blessing to us and to the person who invited you. And thankfully, God gives us those opportunities, the opportunity, the blessing of serving. And I encourage you to do this. And that's where that, that final verse, and I know I don't have a, a slide for it, but now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the blessing of serving. And thank you that serving, while it, it's sometimes a difficult task, is ultimately much more rewarding than, than being served. And, and God, we are, we are grateful for your example too because it is hard to, to serve at times when, we, we, when you're calling us to serve people that we don't really like very much or that we struggle being around. Um, I do pray that you'll help us in those moments to give us the strength to remember that you served even, even Judas himself. And uh, Lord, you are our Lord. You are our King and we want to follow after you. Help us in those things. Guide us to the right moments and the right situations that we can follow. Walk in those good works that you prepared for us beforehand. We thank you for all these things. We pray them in your name. Amen.